if fireflies here on this planet went through some kind of evolutionary process aided by aliens, what would they turn into? Would they eventually rule this planet? The porcupine wants to protect itself, but it doesn't want to kill. It's like the compassionate side of a being. Its defense against predators, like orangutans, birds of prey, and yes, snakes, is to mimic the defense behavior of a cobra. It almost goes into this group consciousness or group mind of the species in a sense and that's what it feels like where, where, where there's a solution that exists in the ether around the species energetically that it can take into itself. Have you ever heard of the bizarre worm experiments that proved cells carry memory? Why were government, scientific, and national defense organizations interested in James McCannibal McConnell's work in the 50s, 60s, and beyond? Are porcupines secret doctors? And what rare properties do porcupines possess? How about aliens, the Anunnaki, and off-world creatures? And what do fireflies and aliens have to do with each other, according to my remote viewing data? Join me, John Vivanco, and investigative researcher Rob Counts for a metaphysical show that's out of this world. Are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast or watching us on a video platform? Leave us a five-star rating and review to help us reach even more people. Like and subscribe wherever you're watching us. That one of the most interesting things that we've come across is the study of planarians which are worms. Is that really the most interesting thing? Wait till I tell you this. It right. is, it's almost as wild as Dr. Emoto's research on water. Oh, that's right. how crazy, that's at the level that this is. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're thinking, you know, Dr. Emoto's research on water covered basically if you treat water a certain way and then you freeze the water and you, and you take photos of what the freezing water looks like in the state where you were either putting a positive or a negative emotion in the water, you will see the outcome in, in the frozen crystals. Right. Right. right and that's right. what, that's what Dr. Emoto showed us. So when you're hating on things or when you're doing things, the water then takes on those characteristics. And if you think about it, is this why people do have holy water? Is this why people bless their food and pray over their food before they eat it? Right. You know, um, Maybe these are practices that are not as, um, I think, infantile as some people out there now think, like they're above all of this. Right. right. I mean, well, we're talking about- You know, like, let's, I mean, like what you're talking about, like what Emoto did was take a um, uh, woo-woo, new agey kind of concept idea and, and put it into science, right? Because like- like, like, look at the way the world thinks. Look at all of the like uh, food TV shows with these chefs who are just like drill sergeant chefs and angry, 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 making all this incredible looking food. People have known for a long time on the more spiritual level that if food is made with love, it tastes way better. Way better. If food is made with anger, no, don't eat it. So, I mean, he's really just turning this into something we can look at in a solid, more scientific way. Right. And, and, and all of his photos and research. And unfortunately he has been criticized. Everything that he's done has been considered pseudoscience and of it's course. not, <clears throat> yeah. and it's not 
given the proper weight that it should have. This should have opened up an entire field, and instead, people have just shunned his work. And in, if anything, it gave us a new understanding of human beings at a different level. Now, pl right. pl planarian worms have a very, very similar and interesting story. In 1953, a grad student named McConnell looked at whether planarians could be, you know, classically conditioned, we'll say. Okay. Hmm. So classical conditioning is a learning process that occurs when two stimuli are repeatedly paired and eventually a response is elicited by the first stimulus alone. Okay. Now, an example of that, for instance, would be uh, Pavlov ringing a bell for his dog every time he'd give him food. So eventually just ringing the bell was enough to make the dog salivate, even if there was no food. That's the Pavlovian response, right? Okay. If now this is where it gets crazy, <clears throat> you know, how worms, you can cut them in half and both parts will still live. Yeah. Right. I mean, as a little kid, you'd cut a worm in half and both parts would kind of like walk away and no one really knew what was going on. Right. All right. Well, if you cut a planarian in half, each part regenerates a missing half. So if you conditioned a planarian and then cut it in half, the question would be, which half would retain the conditioned response? Oh, that's both interesting. Heads, both heads and tails showed the memory retention after you cut it in half. So then that begs the question, where does memory exist? Where does memory exist? Yeah. Exactly. This is totally, totally nuts. Okay. In McConnell's next experiments, okay, each regenerated part of trained worms cut in several pieces and they retained the initial training. So he cut the same worms that he was conditioning into multiple pieces and each part contained the training. That's insane. After several regenerations, when it should have contained none of the structure of the originally trained animal, it also retained the memory. You know, this is the, this is really interesting. You know, this is like, um, in my experience, so memory doesn't exist, uh, within the brain, only a small portion of memory exists within the brain. In my experience, memory. Okay. So for instance, if, if a person believes in past lives, for instance, in reincarnation and, and other realms of existence. How do you access those memories, right? It's like those memories don't exist in the brain of the subject unless you can somehow remember. And in my experience and through remote viewing and other people remote viewing, memory seems to exist within a more energetic realm, an energetic frequency that is like the ether, um, our own personal ether, energetic ether, in a sense, like our own personal Akashic type records. Right. right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, there's a, there's a form of spiritual memory that goes deeper than the machinery that is our brain, which is very right. much a surface piece of machinery that honestly, now we still don't understand to this day. Right. What does it communicate with? Why did the ancients revere the pineal gland. What does the pineal gland really do? And right. at what levels does it function? These are all things we don't know. And any scientist that's telling you they know that is BSing. They don't know. Yeah. It actually, at every step of the way, I was doing research on this today. Then we'll get back to the planarian worms, but I'm doing research on this today. And I, I'm like looking 
for the longest time, everyone recognized that humans only use part of their brain. They're not using the, the full, the total brain. And then of course, uh, movies like Lucy and um, Limitless have come up where in Limitless, that's one of my more, I love that movie. It's a great movie. He's using uh, some type of pill that opens up 100% of his brain and he becomes this, you know, almost super normally intelligent being, but also it has an effect on your body. There are, there are drawbacks to this whole thing, right? Well, there are a lot of like over time, scientists have like basically made this argument that that's completely not true. Human beings use all of their brain all of the time. And anyone saying otherwise is out of there. And they've, they've made this response over time that uh, human beings, of course, use 100% of their brain. No one should be looking into this. Everyone's dumb if they say otherwise, which is not true. We're talking about different, there's two halves of your brain. You know, one of your, one part of your brain is completely shutting down at least, or both parts, most of it when you're sleeping, right? And, and there's no way that that entire brain is being used all the time. There's a certain amount of it being used, right? Um, but it's, it's just funny that over time, whatever, uh, I don't egotistical things that scientists have come up with that prove some type of theory, they will get behind and protect it. And then any new theories are just right. thrown out and or criticized until you stop talking about it. Right. You know, it's unfortunate because we'd learn more if that wasn't the case. Right. Yeah. So um, the question came about from the study in this Planarian Worms is, is there a chemical nature to memory, which if you think about it, we've, they've done studies on water and water always retains memory. So we're talking about liquid blood or there are liquids in a body that could potentially be being trained. And then it's staying within the body, no matter how many parts you cut that body up into the, the training or the chemical nature of that memory is there. It's present. Right. That's fascinating. Interesting. Chemical memory. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but, the, but that like blocks an investigation, though, on the side of things that are more esoteric, which honestly, I, I feel that's where it ultimately goes. Because memory, if you want to access your, your memory throughout different lifetimes, you have to step outside of this. You have to, and it exists in an energetic realm. And the way memory works quite often is that it's not that you will remember uh, everything in a sense. You will remember the highly energetically, emotionally impactful situations, but first it starts as a feeling. Everything always starts as a feeling, and then it goes into at least what the brain can interpret this because, you know, Intuition, it, it almost comes from intuition, but it's not. It's like an energetic construct, an energetic field that you can go into of memory. And, and when you go into that energetic field, it begins as a feeling, and then the brain interprets interprets uh, it into imagery. Now, whether that imagery is 100% true or not, I don't know, because at least in remote viewing, what we see quite often is that the images that people receive, so this is the interpreter. This is the interpreter. The brain mm -hmm. interprets what the energy is telling it. 
right? And that creates the interpretation. Quite often, there's not super duper clear seeing like, like physical to physical, a one-to-one -one ratio. It is something happened, interpretation, and then language symbology to explain what it is. But the language and symbology to explain what it is, is not often exactly what happened. Anyway, that's my, that's my, that's yeah. my experience with memory. But now the chemical side is interesting because now they're dealing with something purely like happening on a physical level. But I think it goes way beyond that. I think that's a step in the right direction, but I think that there's an energetic vibrational construct that exists outside of the chemistry that exists outside of the physical. And that has, and that's in everything. That is everything. I, Everything's I agree with I think that they're trying to explain this whole thing by talking about it in science terms, by using even the word chemical, is memory chemical, when obviously this is <clears throat> potentially right. much deeper than that. I mean, we're talking about dimen dimensions that science doesn't even acknowledge that are there. Right. That That's they the don't whole thing about this, because like even when you get into the whole remote viewing world, Ingo Swan, who was the main test subject, who, who pretty much was creating all this stuff, remote viewing, they like you, I would say like the higher ups in the government or whoever didn't necessarily want to deal with Ingo because they wanted to deal with the ones that were running like the program from a physics standpoint, right? which is goes into i mean in physics when you get into theoretical physics they're trying to bridge the metaphysical with the physical in a sense but they still wanted to deal with the ones that had the phd behind their name as opposed to someone they deemed to be lesser even though that so-called lesser had created so much of it to begin with you know because he had different ideas about things so it's very interesting the way the way this society works Okay, well, anyway, back to planarians. <laughs> okay, so check this out. They tried to transfer molecules from a trained animal to an untrained one, but grafting and injections weren't working because the animals were dying. They heard about cannibalistic planarians, so they ran studies where trained animals were eaten by untrained ones after Ooh. replications the untrained animals seem to retain the memory of the trained ones dude, through animalism. Uh, initially, this memory retention data was rejected because science is going to reject something, right? But after Watson and Crick's discovery of DNA in the 50s, it made people wonder. If genetic info is stored in nucleic acids and proteins, why not acquired information as well? Hmm. They discussed if RNA plays a pivotal role in memory processes. Amazingly, McConnell successfully injected naive worms. This is what they were called. These worms that did not have the training called naive worms, right? Uh, McConnell successfully injected naive worms with RNA from those trained to navigate a maze and reported that the training had transferred. Wow. Which means that we, as a human race, also, if one of us discovers something, others will discover it as well. Almost this like 
telepathy we're not even aware of. This is why the same thing will get discovered across the earth, across multiple cultures at the same time. Two different people across the world will write up plans for a plane and or a, a bike or whatever it is. And it just happens. Right, right. Well, this is also, you know, cloning too. you know, cloning would 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 hold the same ideas, the same constructs. And that's why I'm sure. I mean, when we've remote viewed a lot of strange situations that have to do with, um, let's just say like, like, like superhuman, super soldier type thing, we see a lot of cloning involved in that. Um, and that's the, like the whole transference of skill on, on, on the one side. And, and, and I do think that people that are highly psychically advanced are pro like some of them are engaged in these darker programs where they're sort of my lab abduction scenarios where they, they get DNA taken from them so that they can clone them or clone a part of them to, re to bring that type of skill into their own understanding and their own world to use. Um, <clears throat> McConnell, this guy, he became known as McCannibal in the media. <laughs> he started pronouncing uh, <laughs> a future would include memory pill. Let's go to McCannibal for lunch. Ah, it's the media, you know, <laughs> come up with this crap. God. All right. So he started saying that a future would include memory pills and memory injections. Now, again, think about the, think about this for a moment and why this research didn't go forward, because it sounds like this is, this is way too true. We're talking about a technology that's at our fingertips that he's discovered that people are like, we cannot have this change the entire world, right? right? Memory injections, memory, but this is a movie, dude. He had a, he had a tons of criticism, of course. Okay. So from 1959 to 1964, he received more than 150,000, um, in $60, which is, you know, different now from the atomic energy commission, dude, from the atomic energy commission. Yeah. And National Institute of Mental Health designated specifically for plenarian work. He also did a lot more uh, with other groups. In 1965, four independent labs reported successful memory transfer experiments using rats and mice. Wow, that's insane. After that, more than 50 labs conducted transfer experiments. Bro. Yeah. They can tell us about this for a reason. These right. things have had to have been worked into our black ops programs. Well, I mean, look at Plum Island off of what? New York, Long Island near Montauk, Plum Island, which is a completely restricted island run by U.S. government agency that deals with health and mental health, psychiatric health and whatnot. And there have been so some of those animals, for instance, that have washed up on the shore of Long Island are thought to have come from Plum uh, Island. Plum Island. Right. No, and they man. even found they even found a person dead, I think, either on Long Island or Plum Island, uh, uh, African-American male who had very big, long fingers. But he had a bunch of holes drilled in his head as well. Right. Like 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 there's this this stuff is, is going on. So if you want to know probably more about it, I think probably got to look into Plum Island. Yeah, I had. I mean, I've gotten as far out as the Montauk Project. Montauk well, Project Plum Island is one thing that we're going to have to go into at some point. Clearly, yeah, that is 
insanity. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know how we're going to top planarians, John. No, I know, man. See, this is the problem is that metaphysical just goes freaking metaphysical. <laughs> All right. So porcupines. Right uh, on me. Yeah. All right. So we found this, uh, this article here. <clears throat> adfg.alaska.gov. All right, now check out this story. Quote, a few years ago, my friend's dog got nailed by a porcupine. We wrapped her in a blanket and pulled a dozen quills out of her mouth and muzzle, but we missed one in the roof of her mouth. We discovered a few weeks later when it came out by itself. On the other side, the quill migrated all the way through her muzzle and emerged point first now listen to this porcupine quills have microscopic barbs that do more than make them stick in the skin of an attacker they cause the quill to work itself deeper into the victim porcupine researcher aldous rose noted similar experiences with migrating quills including one that worked its way through his arm Rose was astonished, not by the quill's action, but by what didn't happen. There was no infection. Curious, he investigated and discovered that quills possess antibiotic properties. Uh, that's insane. Insane. It, it, okay. It's like, it's like, well, the porcupine wants to protect itself, but it doesn't want to kill. It's like the compassionate side of a being. Well, we're just gonna lace our, our our quills with antibiotics so it doesn't actually kill anyone. It just chases them off. How how interesting. I mean, that's fascinating. And the, and the quill will it think about it, it's kind of alive. It's working its way through right. almost like a screw going through something to the other side and working its way out. You don't even have to do and anything. So it eventually leaves. Porcupine quills, if you didn't know this, are coated with a fatty acid that gives the quills a greasy feel. That's why porcupines look a little bit greasy, you know, when you look at them. So extracts of quill fatty acids strongly inhibited the growth of six bacterial strains. Now, this is also interesting. Rose suggests that porcupines benefit from antibiotic properties because they commonly quill themselves <laughs> accidentally. Although That's porcupine, their explanation. Right. Although porcupines are good climbers, they seek precarious places because they favor the leaves and the buds at the ends of branches and the tops of trees. Rose examined 37 porcupine skeletons and found that one third had suffered fractures from falls. And he commonly saw falling related injuries in porcupines he studied. Rose suggests that quill antibiotics may limit self-injury suffered in falls. I mean, you know, that actually makes <clears throat> all of that makes a lot of sense because the sure is if, if if genetically DNA um, of these porcupine, it would, you know, if they accidentally quill themselves all the time or quill their friends all the time, you'd have no porcupines. So ad adaptation had to occur genetically in order to survive that for sure. But 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 but, you know. When it comes down to it, I like to think of the compassion of the animal in that, well, we don't actually want to kill anything. We want to get them away from us so it doesn't eat us, but we don't want to kill. I, you know, I, I don't know. I like that. I mean, I like hey, that idea. 
porcupines look like <clears throat> sweet little creatures. Maybe. I mean, coming coming off the planarian stuff and the cannibal thing, I just I'm like really just want to take a hundred percent different tact on this one. <laughs> I like I like that strategy. Yeah. I like that. You're not you're not going to get that with the next one though. The slow loris. You ever heard of it? Oh, no. All right. This is kind of hilarious. All right. So the the slow loris is this like lemur like nocturnal primate native to southern asia of course you know this thing might be cute to some people but it actually packs a deadly punch its defense against predators like orangutans birds of prey and yes snakes is to mimic the defense behavior of a cobra it will rear up rest its hands on its head creating that famous diamond shape and hiss now listen to this. This is where it gets crazy. Meanwhile, a poison excretes from its armpits because it's got its arms up like this. It's got its arms up like this. A poison excretes from its armpits. If it feels really threatened, it will even suck the poison from its armpits and deliver it to its attacker with a deadly bite. Oh, man. He's like, you know, like, you got to wonder, like, how how did that evolve like how did that evolve in a being i mean that's that's just very specific and strange but you know part of me wonders whether or not it evolved because i do believe in developmental process like it's possible right. right or whether or not this is just a being that has been created like this and it has natural defense mechanisms and then those things develop of course, over time. I mean, obviously, breeding occurs. <laughs> you can breed animals to be a certain way. So potentially, over time, this thing is working its way into having these excretions and having these natural things. I don't know which which it is, honestly. I mean, I think it's a combination of both. I think there's intelligence behind evolution that that's that is developmental in a sense where <clears throat> where you have well, obviously, it's like if if some species keeps getting get killed by the same behavior over and over again there could be variations that show up within the species genetically that <clears throat> shift them into dealing with the situation or having a physical characteristic that deals with the situation in a different way and then those others die off and that becomes and then this other genetic um almost like a weird genetic abnormality becomes the the regular throughout it because that's the one that's surviving in it. I mean, that's, that's how this stuff works, but there always seems to be this really interesting and bizarre intelligence behind it as well. Yeah. And to me, that goes into this, into this broader energetic realm of, it almost goes into this group consciousness or group mind of the species in a sense. And that's what it feels like where, where, where there's a solution that exists in the ether around the species energetically that it can take into itself. But on the other side of this, what we've seen is that a lot of animals on this planet are not from here. They're, they've been seeded here. They've been placed here in order to evolve here in whichever way they want to evolve. And I do think there is a group consciousness or a consciousness behind a species evolution. There, there, there is. So, a lot of the beings that we've seen and got to be frank with you, like 
I don't think that I've ever run across any animal in remote viewing that isn't from somewhere else, right? That hasn't been placed here or genetics haven't been mixed with another species from elsewhere in the universe. You know, when you get to advanced societies across the universe, a lot of it has to do with genetic manipulation and, and seeding planets. You know, when you get to the Anunnaki, for instance, and you know, like the old Mesopotamian um, glyphs of the Anunnaki, and they're always carrying that little bag. Yes. And the little bag. When like we a little out, purse, like a little, a like little giant, purse. a little giant man purse. Yeah, exactly. It's the man purse, the fanny pack. Like, like that bag in remote viewing represents they carry the seeds to life, the seeds to uh, genetically alter and grow different types of species. And so these, these, these spacefaring races know this, figured it out, and think in terms of thousands of years in the future, right? And seed planets with different configurations of things that they can later utilize or, or see how they evolve, right? That's so fascinating because, you know, when we did that episode on these these guys and there was emperor chin chi huang's account of having um met people of this country called the wanchu citizens that were we had figured out basically were these that they had this form of energy that could light a whole stream or or lake or river right. for miles with this pine cone it looked like some type of corn or pine cone type material. Uh, he, he said <clears throat> that they spoke to him about the formation of humankind and they had spoke about it as if they had seen it with their own eyes, which I don't know what that means, but it sounds very similar. Like maybe I think what we're looking at on these, on these, um, engravings or the, what, what do we call these? Um, the, the relief, low relief. Yeah. yeah. These relief, um, you know, pieces of art are beyond our understanding of these things. We're using these human concepts to try to understand what it is. So people are like, Oh, well, it looks like the cone in your pineal gland. Let's just call it that. That's what they're worshiping or whatever. You, we don't know what was in these bags. We don't know what that watch was on their hand. Right. What was right. that thing actually, why would they go through the trouble of, of creating a relief with these things on it over and over again, if it was that meaningless to them. Right. It had right. to have been something worth creating right. art around. Right. Right. Well, I think that like, I think that in part, a lot of the information on these has been purposefully buried because the information will uncover what it truly is. And that's not something that a lot of the powers here on earth want regular humans to know about. I mean, it's like when you get to aliens in general, like things from elsewhere, whether that's extra dimensional, multidimensional, different three dimensional spacefaring races um, on Earth here, there's a lot of interest. And for instance, like I had this experience with these, I just call them firefly aliens because oh, yes. when I, I was tell the story, right? So, okay. So this is the whole thing. Like if fireflies here on this planet went through some kind of 
evolutionary process aided by aliens, what would they turn into? Would they eventually rule this planet? Okay, so if you think about it, it's like it's like there are different species here on this planet that are being aided by and seeded by other species in the universe to eventually do what? We don't know, right? So one time I was supposed to remote view this thing that was uh, for a television show um, where they were going to go to Puerto Rico because they wanted to like investigate chupacabras and they also wanted to right. investigate some lights in the sky. Yeah, hey, so I, I, was, I want to investigate chupacabras. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I was remote viewing on the project on this particular project. And I was to look one of them. I was to look at like what was causing all these lights in the sky. And when I initially started viewing, of course, like I'm blind, I don't know. And I'm a professional remote viewer. Um, and I'm immediately getting these other beings come in that are aware of me remote viewing them. And they are, they kept telling me we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. Right. And I was describing them. I was I was going into detail about them. They're from another realm in space and they're coming to Earth. And OK, so I did the session and it was about a couple weeks later. I don't remember exactly how long I'm woken up in the night by this being that is standing in front of my bed. And it had this head that was shaped like a football on the side. And and it. I was freaking out. I was like, when you, when you engage with something that you're not used to seeing that looks so bizarre and strange, you have this sort of like visceral reaction, visceral reaction to it. Right. And so my body was like dumping adrenaline. It was just dumping adrenaline. And I was going, whoa, 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 whoa. And I was backing up on the bed because this thing's standing right there. And it told me like, it didn't say with words, it was telepathic. And when you get to animals, this is the communication method. They, these weren't animals, but when you get two animals on this earth and a lot of beings in the universe, the method of communication is telepathy. And it said to me in my head, we're from the signal because that's what we call this particular project. And we're, we're here to help and we want you to help us. It also told me that my emotional response, the adrenaline dump and me like freaking out to it, it felt like I was throwing rocks at it or bricks. It said, it's like, you're throwing bricks at me. Stop it. Right. So it's like our energy, our emotions affect these beings. They also affect the animals around us. They affect the bugs. They affect our pets. They affect everything. They reflect this back to us. So this being what it wanted, it didn't want to deal with humans. Like I went into this whole like relationship with these beings and they would show up on a regular basis physically. They would show up physically like that. And they would also show up as a, like a blue orb. It would just float around and everybody in the room could see it. Like it would just show up and float around. And I ended up calling them the firefly aliens because they were interested in a species, a very specific species of firefly on this planet, which now I don't know if they seeded it or not. They could have seeded it, but it was a very distant cousin of theirs. And it was really, really important for them that this being live and evolve without a ton of human interference because their world also depended upon this Whoa. being. 
right? It depended upon this being having equilibrium in order to evolve, right? And, and this is a fascinating concept because most people think that the animals here, the bugs here, whatever is for them, right? It's, it's like domain over the earth. But a lot of these aliens who come here, they aren't even connected to us, right? They're connected to other species on this planet that they're involved with, that they've seeded here with this. So it was a kind of eye-opening situation, right? Because each animal, each being has its own evolutionary path of consciousness. And a lot of them also like the um, praying mantis are directly connected to a more advanced, what we would consider a more advanced species. Like we don't think about um, these bugs and animals as advanced species, but they are on an energetic level. They are. And you have these other technologically advanced species who have seeded them here and they, they are in the image of them, right? They are absolutely in the image of them. Just like we are in the image of, of what we call God, right? They have their God. You know, when you get into the whole idea of in the image of this goes back to the Anunnaki, right? We are created in the image of God, which in the creation of the new rendition of humans, of course we are. Yes, because those are the ones that had the bag, just like the praying mantis. They are in the image of their God, which is these other praying mantis type alien beings, right? And so there's a lot of that going on here. It comes to animals, like there's a lot of that going on here. My mind's kind of blown right now. I mean, yeah. think about what kind like we're talking about an insane cinematic avatar movie or something about fire. Right. It's what you just described. Right. Like, I know this is why I feel like we just do not understand what is going on here on this planet. It's like, right. It's like we're, we're really limited to, you know, what are the dramas going on in our family or on TV or whatever right. it is. And like, meanwhile, the social human construct yeah. that's manipulated. Right. Meanwhile, what I just want to say, yeah. like, we don't think just think of humans as from aliens. Like, that's like this layer in between God. Correct. What is truly God and us like aliens have come in to genetically manipulate us and not just genetically manipulate us physically, but also in a social engineering way so that we get mixed up between what is God and what is not God. Right. Yeah, so bad, that's bad really what is. God truly exists. It yeah. is everything. Right. Whereas the aliens are a layer in between who have genetically manipulated us. Just, well, I just also, want to make that clear. And also I will say they think they can genetically ma manipulate us, but then there are ways that divine beings much greater than them can use to undo all of that. So I think it's, you know, for people being afraid about that or anything, that's not the way to look at it. Um, right. You know, but um, yeah, but anyway, thanks for saying that. And yeah, I just think people, you know, need to take a step back and look around them a little bit more because there's so much more going on in this world than, you know, mundane politics. Let's put it that way. Well, if you guys are listening to this episode of Metaphysical, uh, we're running out of time right now. We have really just started to hit all of this stuff. So we're going to be getting into so many more things like the one of the craziest animals that I've ever come across indeed has been the platypus, elephants and so much more. Um, 
And if you were impressed with some of the stories that we were um, discussing before, there's going to be much more in the coming episodes. So hang in there. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you for being with us. And for those of you at home, we hope you thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. <laughs>